Thanks for checking out the Vox Church podcast. We are so honored to have you join us, and we hope this message speaks to you in a powerful way. Learn more about Vox Church by visiting us online at voxchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Vox Church. I'm so glad that you're here. Happy Sunday. Welcome. Hey, if this is your first Sunday tuning into Vox Church, a special welcome to you. We are so incredibly glad that you are here. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Mike Schnepp. I'm one of the pastors here. So honored that you're with us this morning. If you've been with us over the last five or so weeks, we have been in a sermon series called Personal Jesus. And if you've missed any of those, they have been incredible. One powerful week after another as our lead pastor has led us through this series. And if you've missed any, make sure you go catch the podcast, catch the video. You don't want to miss them. Every single one was uniquely powerful. And so make sure that you get those. We've also been going through the devotional together that we're just finishing up. It has been such a powerful thing for me to consider that as I open mine up in the morning, there are hundreds, maybe even thousands of people opening up this devotional at the exact same time. Time and so, what a fun journey that it has been! All right, we are going to finish up today looking at Mark chapter 10. This is week six as we close personal Jesus. And it's actually fitting because what we're going to be looking at is the last recorded personal healing that Jesus performed. And we see it here in Mark chapter 10, the story of his interaction with a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. And so, I want to encourage you would you read along with me this morning? We're going to pick it up in verse 46. Again, that's Mark chapter 10. Let's read it together. All right, it says this. It says, and they came to Jericho. It's talking about Jesus and the disciples and those who are with him. It says, and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. I want to invite you to take some notes and follow along this morning. If you're doing so, the title of this morning's message is Sight Beyond the Sight. Let's bow our heads and pray together as we begin. So God in heaven, we come before you and we just say thank you for who you are. We thank you for victory in Jesus. We thank you for freedom in Jesus. We thank you for the life of joy that you offer us that we learned about last week. And God, we come to you this morning. As we open up your word, I ask that you would speak to us uniquely. God, we believe that you have something to say to each and every single person listening to this right now. And so we open our hands and we open our hearts to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as many of you know, here in the United States, this is an incredibly important week for our country. On Tuesday, we actually elect a president who is going to rule, who's going to lead our country for the next four years. And election cycles, election seasons, tend to be ones that that carry a lot of chaos, right? They carry a lot of anxiety, a lot of unknown about what's coming next. The debates have been just kind of chaotic, and people begin to feel this, this tension in the air. You can almost grab a hold of it. 
And the funny thing about election cycles are no matter how passionate you are about your candidate or how passionate you are about your issues, at the end of the day, every single one of us gets the same amount of votes, just one. And it's easy to begin to feel like, you know, I care so much about this, but, but in the end, I only get that one vote, one vote in hundreds of millions. And when you're someone who cares that deeply about it, it's easy to slide into this place where you feel like a little helpless, like it's out of your hands. And that's an awful feeling. You know, we've got some friends who they've preemptively taken off Wednesday from work because they know that they're not going to be in a great state emotionally if their candidate doesn't win. Why? Because it's difficult. It's difficult to feel this way. But that's not all that 2020 has had for us, right? It's had a number of different things that have been difficult all throughout the way. And I've talked with plenty of people who have said, you know, honestly, I haven't cared about the election as much this year because I've just got my own pressing things that I've been concerned with. People who say, I lost my job early into the pandemic, and I've just been struggling to find a new one because it seems like no one's hiring. And I'm just watching my bank account shrink day by day. We heard last week about marriages that are on the rise in terms of their struggle as couples are just battling. And there are some people that are beginning to feel hopeless that their marriage is going to survive. Many people have begun battling in new ways with mental health struggles. And there's this anxiousness, this anxiety, this fear, this worry. And these things begin to lead to this sense of powerlessness. Because, Mike, I've prayed. Mike, I've applied for that job. I've gone after it. I've, I've tried. And nothing seems to be better yet. And I just feel a little helpless. And, and I would say that there's very few feelings that are worse than that feeling of helplessness. And so where do we turn in times like these? Where do we turn when we're struggling? Is there anything that can actually be done? Because, Mike, if I'm honest, I'm beginning to spiral a little bit, and I don't really know what to do. And I want to level with you this morning. I want to propose, I want to propose, rather, that one of the primary things your soul needs right now, more than anything else in all the world, is the deep and unshakable confidence that there is a God who knows you, who loves you, who sees you, who cares about your needs, and who is working on your behalf in ways that you might not even see yet. Imagine with me, how different would it be with how you're feeling right now if you knew that the God of all creation sees you, cares about you, and is moving on your behalf. Your needs, your fears, your hopes, they matter to him. Would that change your outlook a little bit? You might say, my God, I don't really actually share those things with God. Well, what if you did? And what if, as you did, you began to see some of those needs be met? What feeling would just begin to just erupt in your heart? That, that powerlessness, you begin to feel powerful because you see a God beginning to move, beginning to change things for you, beginning to provide in ways that were unexpected. To know that God hears you and cares is something that can transform the way you see every single situation. So what I want to look at this morning is what does it mean to take that feeling of hopelessness, that feeling of, of powerlessness, and begin to actually approach God? I actually want to ask you, before we go any further, just to begin to grab hold of something in your life, something in your heart, where you need to see God break through. Maybe it's the, the salvation of a loved one. Maybe it's one of the things that I've mentioned already. Maybe it's one of a hundred other difficult things going on in our world right now. What is that thing that you are praying about? Because I want to look at that this morning. I want to ask the question, what is it like to actually go after God regarding the miraculous provision of that thing? 
I know I've got things in my life that I'm praying about, and I bet you've got things in yours as well. Now, this is shaping up to be a crazy week. I mean, I might even just ask you, go ahead, just turn to that person next to you and just say, who are you voting for? Who are you voting? No, I'm just kidding. Don't say that. That could derail your entire morning, right? Don't do that. But this week is going to be a little crazy. And I want to put some tools in your hands to how do I deal with perhaps how I'm feeling, whether it's about the election or whether it's just something else that has been coming up that you've been thinking about, feeling about, needing the miracle that you're waiting for. And I believe that some of the secret of that is found in effective prayer. Effective prayer. And I want to look at that, a model for that found here in Mark chapter 10. I want to introduce you to Bartimaeus, a man who, if he knew anything, knew what it was like to feel helpless. A blind beggar who probably had been that way since birth would spend his days next to the road just begging, just to get through one seemingly and lonely, impossible day at a time. Imagine his existence, and imagine how incredibly difficult that must have been. But somewhere along the way, Bartimaeus heard about Jesus. He heard, perhaps, about the stories of Jesus restoring sight to the blind. And we don't know when, and we don't know how, but we do know that there was a faith, a spark that erupted in his heart. And when this day came, he was ready. And on this particular day, I imagine him hearing a commotion coming in the distance. And he probably turned to one of the people around him and asked him, asked them what was going on. And they probably looked off at the distance, and then one by one, the voices started saying, hey, I think that's... I think that's Jesus. and Yeah, I think, I think it is. I think it is. And imagine just Bartimaeus, Jesus, the, the one who, who restores sight to the blind. Just picture this moment for this man. And so the moment comes and, and the crowd begins to go by him. And Bartimaeus knows his moment is here. And so he, he, he calls out, Jesus, son of David, he says, have mercy on me. And I want you to see something that we tend to miss 2,000 years later as, as we read this. Bartimaeus wasn't just calling out to this Jesus of Nazareth. He was doing something much deeper. See, in ascribing to, the, to Jesus the name Son of David, he was declaring his faith that Jesus was the promised Messiah, that Jesus was the one who had been promised to come through hundreds of prophecies. Jesus was the one that could only be walking by him if he was divinely sent by God. And so he calls out to Jesus, son of David, using that messianic name. But notice what he immediately does. He says, I believe that you're the Messiah. And then he goes personal immediately. He says, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Because there's this beautiful tension in Scripture that I just want you to consider for a second. That Jesus is, is both the one who hung the stars and the one who wipes the tears at the same time. That he is both the God of all creation and the God who comes close. And Bartimaeus, in that phrase, he actually, he actually points this out to us. You are son of David. Would you now have mercy on me? And we catch this in how David prays, right? The Lord, which is that word Yahweh, is my shepherd. The, the Lord, the, the eternal, existent God, is my daily guide. He is my shepherd. And I think if for many of us, if we looked at the way that we prayed, we would say that we don't actually believe that this tension is true. I think if many of us, if we took an honest ass assessment of the way we prayed, would say that we actually believe that God doesn't care, that he's disinterested, or that he can't actually do anything about it. Now, we wouldn't necessarily say that, but, but think of the way you've been praying. 
You're just, just hoping, God, God, would you just do something? God, would you just, we're praying these weak prayers. We're taking the teeth out of effective prayer because we're not holding intention that God is the one who can do supernatural things and he comes close and cares about our daily needs. What an incredible thought. What an incredible thought to know that he is the one who raised the mountains and he is the one who cares about your electric bill at the same time. And I love how this blind beggar puts on display for us this incredible tension about how we view God. That he both cares about the salvation of your soul and the fight that you had with your sister last week. That this is the same God. You know, it's interesting. If you ever listen to a child pray, they don't really struggle with this, right? Um, during, during COVID, not from COVID, but my wife's aunt passed away. And so we were walking my girls through that, and we, were, uh, we did a memorial service for her. And so the other day at the dinner table, my six-year-old was praying. And she prayed something like this. She said, thank you, God, that Aunt Vicky is in heaven. And thank you for my new sparkly shoes that I wanted. Amen. See, children have this ability to, in the same sentence, thank God for salvation and sparkles, right? And I think that's why God would say, listen, I want you to understand that I'm the God of the big and the small. Because if you don't view God that way, you're never going to step forward into that type of prayer that is expectant and effective. And so this is the thing that I just want you to begin to see here, that you need to understand who God is if you're going to pray to him. You know, and as new parents, you often get these really sweet pictures of who God is, and it helps. You know, there's all these analogies, and, and I was thinking about myself, how in the same day early on, I would pray for the salvation of my girls, and then at night when I thought it might be cold, I'd put an extra pair of socks on their feet. You know, parents have this ability to care about the very big things of a child's life, and the daily needs as well. And God is no different. And you need to understand and see that he sees you and he cares and he's the God of the miraculous. We catch a picture of this, that Jesus, the son of David, has daily mercy for me. Ooh, that's gonna change the way that we pray. First thing I want you to write down is effective prayer begins with a clear picture of God. A clear picture of God. You cannot get to this if you don't understand who he is. Effective prayer begins with a clear picture of God. And wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if a proper understanding of God was all that we needed, right? I mean, you look at Bartimaeus' story, right? And it says this. He says, you know, and many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you and throwing off his cloak. He sprang up and came to Jesus. And things immediately begin to get interesting because if Bartimaeus knows that his moment is here, the promised Messiah, the one who the Old Testament prophets have tied healing to, he knows that his moment is here. And so he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And in that moment, everything is healed. Wait, 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 that's not, that's not. Jesus basically ignores him. Did you see that? It says that basically he calls out to him, and what happens next is, is many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. And I wonder how many of us, if that was our moment, we would be so despondent, so dejected, that we would just say, man, I guess that healing isn't for me. But Bartimaeus will not be deterred, and I love that. And we don't know if it's the second time or the 22nd time that he reaches and he screams and calls out to Jesus. But Jesus looks and turns and says that beautiful phrase, take heart, get up, he is calling you. 
See, can I be honest? There are times that it just feels like I need to call out to Jesus a few times before I get his attention. You ever felt that way? Let's take one of the examples. Maybe you're here and you need a job. And you begin praying, Jesus, Jesus, I need a job. And then day two. Jesus, maybe I wasn't clear. Maybe you didn't understand what I meant yesterday when I said I'm really in need of a job. And day three, Jesus, still could use that job. There's this strange tension in Scripture. There's the principle that on the surface is a little bit strange. And I want to just propose it to you this morning. It's the principle of perseverance. It's the principle of persistence in prayer. And if you've been around Vox for a while, you've heard us teach about the widow, the persistent widow, where upon her persistence, the judge grants her respect, her, her, uh, her answer, her request. But did you ever notice, and I hadn't noticed that, that immediately before Jesus tells that parable, he actually says this to his disciples. He says this, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So Jesus instructs us that persistence in prayer is a part of the kingdom of God. Why? Because he wants us to be faithful. He wants us to, in relationship, come after him, just like he has come after us. I think too many of us treat prayer a bit like a light switch. And we walk over to the wall and and we flip the light switch on. And if nothing happens, we just say to ourselves, well, I guess the power's out today. And we treat prayer the same way, where we come to God and, and we throw up a prayer and nothing happens in the moment. We say, well, I guess that healing's not available for me. Well, I guess God doesn't have that relationship for me. Well, I guess God's never going to heal my mom. Well, I guess that person's never going to come to find faith. But you don't see that in the kingdom of God, persistence in prayer is one of his values. And maybe some of us think, you know, listen, I, I prayed it once and God is sovereign, so he knows that I want it. And so when he's good and ready, he's going to answer it. The problem is that's just not how Jesus instructs us to pray. Prayer instead is a little less like an on and off switch and a little bit more like a helpless widow who just refuses to accept her helplessness. She stands up to the injustice and lets her persistence win the day. This is such a strange concept for us. It was helpful for me this week reading the way one theologian, Andrew Murray, writes about this. He says this. He says, persistence has various elements. The main ones are perseverance, determination, and intensity. It begins with a refusal to readily accept denial. This develops into a determination to persevere, to spare no time or trouble until the answer comes. This grows in intensity until the whole being is given to God in supplication. Boldness comes to lay hold of God's strength. At one time it is quiet, at another bold. At one point it waits in patience, It waits in patience, but at another, it claims at once what it desires. In whatever different shape, persistence always means and knows that God hears prayer. I must be heard. What an uncomfortable idea. Isn't this such? It's kind of awkward that that Jesus would say, I'm asking you to persist in prayer. Jesus actually instructs us that as we pray, We are to lean into his promises and in a way demand a response from him dependent on the promises that he has made to us. That's an uncomfortable idea, isn't it? Right? It's this approach that says, God, listen, 
You have said it, and I know you're faithful, so I'm going to keep knocking on this door until you do what you're saying you're going to do because I know that you're faithful, and I can count on this promise. And so I'm just going to keep knocking, and I'm just going to keep knocking, and I'm just going to keep knocking. And on the surface, it seems a little presumptuous, but Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4 says it to us like this. It instructs us, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Boldly, there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And it almost sounds a little bit arrogant to approach God this way. But the difference is it's not an arrogance based on your demands. It's a confidence based in the character of God. And that's an important difference because a confidence based in God's character is going to keep coming, fully expectant, day after day. God, I know that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. God, I know that you are who you say you are, and so I'm going to keep knocking until I see that provision. I'm going to keep knocking until I see the fullness of that promise. That's an incredible kind of confidence, isn't it? Imagine with me if your prayer life looked a little bit more like that. I was reading this week, the story of George Mueller, and maybe you've heard of him. George Mueller was, uh, he, he lived during the 19th century, and he became famous for a number of orphanages, orphanages that he opened up in England. And it's said that over the course of the decades he ran these orphanages, they cared for over 10,000 children, 10,000 children. The crazy thing is George Mueller ran his orphanage on prayer. He ran his orphanage completely on prayer. What does that mean? It means he never asked for money. He never asked for food. He was so confident about how God would care for the children of this orphanage that he knew that God would provide. In his journal, literally, 50,000 specific prayer requests. And it's been said that over 30,000 of them were answered within the hour or the day that he made them. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that absolutely incredible? Over the course of his life, to fund these orphanages, he never asked for money, and the equivalent of over a half a billion dollars came in through the time because God provided just like he said he would. I want you to hear of just one instance. A biographer recorded one example. Such a powerful story. It says this. It says, one day the orphanage had run out of food. The children are dressed and ready for school, but there's no food for them to eat. The house mother of the orphanage informed George Mueller. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and waited. George knew God would provide food for the children as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. I'll bring it in. Soon, there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the, the wheel was fixed, so he asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk. It was just enough for the 300 thirsty children. How crazy is that? That is a confidence in God that I need to learn from. George Mueller literally sits down for breakfast Thanks God for the breakfast that doesn't yet exist. But because he knows that God is going to care for the children like he promises, he thanks God for the breakfast that he doesn't see yet, and then God answers. That is a powerful way to live. And it was said that George Mueller would never pray without attaching a specific promise from the scriptures to his prayers. And that's where his confidence came from. This unshakable belief that God would do exactly as he 
said. And Bartimaeus is the same way. We know that the Messiah was associated with healings. And so he's coming to Jesus saying, I won't be turned back from my healing. You're the Messiah. I've read about it in Isaiah 35 how the Messiah is going to bring sight to the blind. And so I'm ready to receive my healing because you are who we knew you would be. Take a second and consider with me how different your situation would look if you took a promise of God, you attached it to that prayer, and you just began to pray into that promise. This unshakable confidence. You're here, and you need that provision. Matthew 6 says, if you pursue him first, he will see to your need. There's promise upon promise upon promise that you can tie to your specific need. And I believe that what it would do, it would put inside of you a confident heart and a surrendered heart. And that's the second thing here that we see about effective prayer. And we'll just say it this way. We'll say effective prayer doesn't stop until it sees Jesus. Effective prayer is persistent and confident. But the story doesn't end there. We got one more section to look at. Picking it back up at verse 51. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now we read this. And, you know, if you've read this chapter a number of different times, you kind of just blow by that. But imagine how ridiculous that must have seemed in the moment. You've got the blind beggar who has called out to you. He comes up to you, and you ask him what he wants you to do for him. Of course, Jesus, he wants you to give him his sight back. Why would you ask that? I believe that God is constantly pursuing relationship with us. And he doesn't want pretense. He wants our hearts. And so oftentimes, you see in the scriptures that God responds to specific prayer. And like a good father, he comes to us and he says, what's on your heart, child? Because transparency and honesty deepen relationship. And remember and don't forget that he is not just the God above. He is the God with us. And he is constantly pulling us into deeper and closer relationship with him. It messes with us because it's uncomfortable for us to think that God desires to walk in that close of a relationship. The relationship of a father to a son. But never forget when Jesus instructs us how to pray, what is the first two, what are the first two words that he tells us to say? Our father. Our father. We're to look at God first and foremost as a father. And as a father, You want that honest relationship with your children. I think it's why they constantly tell us to have the heart of a child. Children do not have problems speaking honestly with their parents. They just come and ask because they're honest. There's no filter. And God is saying, that's the way that I want you to approach me as well. Theologians have written about this in all sorts of different ways. John Wesley went as far as to say, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. It's a concept that, that can push the boundaries a little bit. But, but all throughout Scripture, what we see is a pattern that miracles seem to fall, follow persistent and specific prayer requests. Right? We see this literally hundreds of different times throughout Scripture where miracles follow these targeted, specific Prayers. It says in James chapter 5, Elijah was a human as we are, and yet when we prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield crops. Maybe you've heard about Hannah who asked God for a son and was given a son. Maybe you heard about Moses who in a lot of different ways 
would ask God for specific things. God, would you hold off judgment? And God would. And on and on and on. And you just got to ask yourself, am I praying to God right now with, with specificity? Or am I just asking God for just general blessings? Am I just honoring God in the way I pray? God, I honor you. And, and they sound nice, but they're not actually honest. I believe God is calling you deeper. Because here's what I know. It's the third thing we're going to see here in Bartimaeus' life, that effective prayer always has a specific target. Effective prayer always has a specific target. See, I asked you when we began to, be, to, uh, to grab hold of whatever it is that thing that you or you and your wife or you and your friends or just you and your quiet time, what is that thing that, that you are thinking about or feeling? Maybe you have been praying about it. And I just want to ask you, just take, take a bit of inventory. Is this the God that you've been praying to? Are you praying full of faith that he sees you and is powerful enough to meet your need? Are you praying in a way that honors that character of God? Have you been praying with persistence? I find of these three, the one that seems to fall off the most for me is persistence. We're all pray about something for a week or two weeks or even two months, but eventually it seems like my prayer life, it just, it just begins to fall off a little bit. I know for me as I was prepping this, God was just speaking to me again. Persistence about attaching a promise to the prayer and just knocking on the door of heaven until I see that answer come. Or maybe for you, it's praying with specificity. And you know that you've been just praying in general ways to God. He is saying, my child, would you be honest with me about what you need? Because when we get to this place, we realize what could be waiting on the other side of our Bartimaeus moment? What miracle might be waiting if we will step into this? in the way that we see Bartimaeus do. See, I believe that effective prayer means the story is never over. Effective prayer means the story is never over. I believe that through effective prayer, the hopeless find hope because they know that God is on their side. I believe that the powerless find access to the reservoir of divine power because of the power of God. This is what effective prayer unlocks for us. And I just want to ask you today, is this the way that you've been praying? Is this the way that you've been living? Is this the way that you've been coming to God? Or is there something that he would ask you to change? You know, I know in preaching this, there are some of you who your hearts are just weary because you've had a need for a long time and you haven't seen that need met. And your heart's tired. And you're beginning to question some of these things. Does God actually see me? God, I've been praying about this, this thing for a long time now. I just wonder, do you actually see me? And if you do, do you actually care? And it was such a good reminder this week. You know, the context of this passage is that Jesus is actually on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus is only a couple days away. From Passover, being hung on the cross, where God would turn his back on him. Jesus' mind is set squarely on the cross on what's coming next, and yet he makes time for the one. And I couldn't help but reflect that this is who Jesus is, that he always sees the one. And so I just want to remind you this morning that you're seen, that the God of heaven has not looked over you, he has not forgotten you, he is moving in ways that you don't understand right now. I know you don't see it, I know it is, it is still hard, but I just, I believe that those words said to Bartimaeus all those years ago are being said to you today take heart, he is calling you. I believe that even today, he is still calling you. 
And because of that, you are invited. And because of that, take heart. Take heart. You are seen and you are loved. Take heart. Take heart. You know, Jesus, as I mentioned, is walking through Jericho. And he is on his way to Jerusalem. And I thought about the person here today. If you're honest, you're far from God. Well, Jesus would continue through Jericho after his uh, interaction with Bartimaeus. And there, he'd celebrate the Passover supper with his disciples. That night, he'd be arrested. He'd be hung on a cross where God would turn his back on him, where God would ignore ignore his cries on the cross as God takes his, his wrath and his anger and his sin and his hatred for sin, and he pours it out on his son. And Jesus actually says, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we could pray with confidence that Jesus, when he wasn't heard, unlocked the confidence that we always stand heard before the Father. That we never have to question, God, do you hear me? And he's buried. And three days later, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is raised to new life so that I can stand before you today and tell you that God loves you, that he has an incredible plan for your life, that his hand is outstretched to you, inviting you into the family of God, that you would accept the free gift of righteousness, that, that God wouldn't count your sin or your shame against you anymore, but instead count the righteousness of God, that he would put that in your account. If you would take your faith and your trust, give it to Jesus. You know, our leaders would have the great honor of just reaching out to you this week. If you would just text that number on the bottom of the screen, text Jesus to that number. It would be our joy to walk you through what does it mean to give our hearts and our lives to Jesus. And if that's you and God is calling you, get up. Take heart. God has something for you, I believe. Text that number so that we can can talk with you about what does it mean on this journey of following Jesus. So God, we love you. We come before you right now. God, thousands of different stories hearing this right now. And I thank you that you are in the midst of every single one. God, I pray that you would help us to be people who step into effective prayer. God, I thank you that you are the God of the miracle. God, I believe you. I believe that there are miracles that will be unlocked. There are provisions that will be seen as a result of us coming to you in this way, believing you for this specific miracle or that specific miracle. God, I thank you that the hopeless find hope in you. And I thank you that you unlock for us a divine expectant confidence when we know, like Romans 8 says, that you are the God who is on our side. And we remember that. In Jesus' name. Box Church seeks to reach New England and beyond with the life-transforming message of Jesus. If you have been impacted by this message or the ministry of Vox Church, you can continue to help us reach others by giving today at voxchurch.org forward slash give. For more information on how to get involved, visit us online or on any social media platform at vox.church. We always appreciate you taking the time to rate or review this message on iTunes. Thanks again for listening to the Vox Church podcast.